Hey everyone, before we get started on today's episode, I want to tell you about a new smartphone that we love here at Brave Parenting. It is perfect for parents and children. It has no browser, no Wi-Fi, no social media, no games, no app store, and cannot send or receive images. But it has everything your child needs. In addition to making phone calls and sending text messages, it has a calendar, camera, voice recorder, music, stopwatch, and an alarm. Gab Wireless has released their brand new phone and you are going to love it. No more worrying about whether parental controls are set up correctly. No more worrying about what apps your child is installing on their phone. And the setup is easy because this phone was designed by parents for parents. We ourselves have tested this Gab phone with our own children and we absolutely love it. Even better, it looks great too. The Gab phone is an Android-based smartphone that looks as sleek and stylish as any other smartphone on the market. Even more, the Gab phone is only $99.99. Why pay hundreds of dollars for a smartphone when you can get everything your child needs at this unbelievable price? You also don't have to worry about spotty coverage. Gab Wireless utilizes America's leading 4G LTE network for only $20 a month with no long-term contracts or commitment. Compare that to plans by other major providers, and this too is a great deal for parents looking to save money. If you are considering a smartphone for your child, you can learn more about the Gab phone by Gab Wireless at braveparenting.net slash gab. If you use our promo code BRAVE19 at checkout, you'll also receive $5 off your purchase of the Gab phone, saving you even more. Again, go to braveparenting.net slash gab, G-A-B-B, to learn more about Gab Wireless and use promo code BRAVE19 B-R-A-V-E-1-9 at checkout to receive $5 off your order. And now on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast. I am your host and the founder of Brave Parenting, Kelly Newcomb, and this is where you'll receive the encouragement, insight, and information that you need to raise kids of character and our culture saturated with media and technology. We call it brave parenting because it takes courage and hard work to not only keep on top of changing technology, but then decide how you will incorporate that into your family's life. Our ultimate goal here is to keep you educated and equipped to raise those tech-savvy kids. Welcome to today's show. In today's news, we're going to be talking about university students facing disciplinary action for a group text, also close friends for a monthly fee. Our character focus today will be on efficiency, our app focus on group me, and in our family focus, the difference between being a consumer and a producer and how you can help your kids be more of a producer. All right, jumping into today's news, about 70 University of Texas at Austin students are facing either automatic failing grades or expulsion for being members of a group message board where information about an upcoming test was posted. Apparently, this anthropology course had a second exam earlier this month, and one student posted onto the GroupMe text thread asking what was going to maybe be on the next test. Another responded with the textbook concepts that the class had reviewed up until the exam. Well, within a few hours, the professor had emailed everyone who was in that group thread basically saying that they were facing disciplinary actions for sharing material that was on the test. The professor says that he said explicitly in the syllabus that 
Students were banned from discussing content of exams and labs in all possible venues. And he also gave examples of what that meant. Websites, forums, Facebook, and informal hallway chats. So he pretty much covered his bases. Because this class occurred in different times and some people could have taken the test on Monday and some people could have taken the test on a Tuesday, that opened the door for people to possibly cheat. And because this message had come out, he believed that they were cheating by sharing the content on the exam. Why this is really interesting for us as parents and good to know not only for our kids who are in college, but also in high school, GroupMe, the app that we're focusing on today, is what they were on, and that is becoming very popular, not only for classes and school-related groups, but also for sports and different activities that our kids may be in. The freshman here was in this group when interviewed. She says, as especially as a freshman, I had no idea to steer clear of this sort of thing. It seemed like everyone in all my classes had these. So I thought to myself, I might as well join, and most people seem to have innocent intentions. So that's what she said, and I think that's probably going to be the case for a lot of our kids as they feel like, of course, we'll just join this class's group me thread because they're going to be talking about the class or different things coming up, assignments, and that sounds like something that they want to be a part of. But now they're having to navigate these really difficult waters where if someone in the group says something that could be considered cheating and you're a part of that group, now you may be considered equally as guilty. Now, in this case, each student is going to be determined on an individual basis whether or not they're facing disciplinary action, but definitely a good conversation starter with your kids at home is to start talking about GroupMe and the groups that they are involved in. Okay, next in news, close friends for a monthly fee. The influencer culture on Instagram has now normalized charging money for friendship, or at least a sort of digital intimacy, if you will. An Atlantic article reports of one influencer who has 94,000 followers, 400 of whom are her, quote, close friends, which is a privilege won by paying her $3.33 a month. These close friends get access to her exclusive rants, theories, and personal updates, silly details about her love life, big ideas about existence and wellness and poetry and prose from her personal archives. So for $3 a month, you're getting inside access that not everyone on Instagram is going to get, helping you feel like you actually know this person better, that you are, quote, close friends with her. Now, many of the Instagram users who have caught on to this financial hack are lifestyle influencers who are charging money for friendship at its most literal broken down part where you're sorted into tiers based on ascending value. So it's kind of like, you're my close friends, you're my closest friends, and those people that might pay a little bit more money and maybe they get a phone call or a FaceTime with them as well. Other artists who are doing this are maybe people who are charging a dollar a month for behind the scenes content or illustration accounts, podcasts, YouTube channels with loyal followers can charge extra for more intimate access with their hosts. Now, the precedent set for this is none other than our favorite app, Snapchat, which I say sarcastically, because erotic models have long offered these premium Snapchat subscriptions where they can sell themselves or their nude photography to these people who are subscribing to their channels. It's essentially just another way of paying for pornography. 
Well, Close Friends is sort of a move on Instagram's part to recapture the interests of young people who consider Snapchat to be a safe place for content that they don't want parents and teachers or even creeps to see. So for Instagram, it's a win for both them and the influencer. Now the influencer, someone who has lots of followers, can also charge money, maybe make a little money on the side for giving people extra access to their life. This turn for social media, charging for friendship, is just one more rift in the actual connection that our kids and even us think that we have with people online. I read an article the other day that talked about how we, you know, in our society should not be surprised that technology is evolving this way. But then the question is posed, is technology actually evolving or are we pushing it forward? Because evolution doesn't involve board meetings and project teams and strategic planning on how to gain the trust and loyalty of youth today. And that's essentially what Instagram is kind of doing. Hey, let's charge money and call this close friends where people can pay each other for more access. That doesn't sound a lot like evolution. So definitely something to start this conversation with your kids. Would they be willing to pay a couple dollars a month in order to have access to someone they follow on Instagram? Don't be surprised if the answer is yes. A lot of times they feel very connected to these people and they would love the privilege of being able to have even more access than others around them to that one person. But while we as adults often will think this is really just a parody of friendship, we need to make sure that we're encouraging real deep close friendships in our children that occur face-to-face, not just online. All right, our character focus today is going to be on efficiency, something that we all desire to have. It is achieving maximum productivity with minimum wasted effort or expense. Man, if we could just all be given that gift, it is definitely one that we strive for. It is working in a well-organized and competent way. So we as adults, how do we achieve this level of efficiency? Well, a lot of us learn it over time. And if you look at your children, you may think, my children are the least efficient people ever. And for the most part, many children are not efficient. It is something that's learned over time. But it's not something that we can't start instilling good habits in order to increase our children's efficiency. Now, a lot of times we think that we can become more efficient by using technology more. And in some regards, that is true. But in some regards, technology can slow us down and make us a little bit less efficient. And as we learned in our news a little bit earlier, sometimes what we think is efficient can actually land us in some trouble, such as the kids facing disciplinary action for their group meet thread. So let's take a look about how we can help our kids become efficient. And overall, we're going to say we are going to embrace routine and structure. I'm going to go ahead and give you six ways that you can do this. The first way is to give your child checklists. Now, for a younger child, you could draw and write the steps out on paper, maybe laminate it and give it to them. That could be your morning routine or the afternoon or evening routine, or it could be a weekly list of things they have to get done. But overall, being able to visually see what they have to get done can help them remember all of those tasks. Now, for older children, they might do well with different type of, of writing it out. Maybe they, would, they could do well with smartphone reminders or alarms set. 
instead of handwriting a list and laminating it for them. Number two, how do we get our kids to become more efficient? Plan ahead and teach your child to do the same. So if your child has soccer practice shortly after school, have him get all of the equipment and everything ready, clothes and gear, either the night before or the morning of that practice, so that all they have to do after school is maybe change clothes and grab a snack. You can even have those clothes set out and the snack pre-picked out. That way they're not standing in the pantry or looking in the refrigerator, unable to decide what it is that they want to eat. If it's already pre-decided for them, then it takes a lot of the guessing work out and you become more efficient. If your morning routine is hard, then lay out your outfit the night before. Have the backpack ready to go first thing in the morning. The more you can do in advance and prepare ahead of time, the easier those routines can become. Number three, helping our kids become more efficient. Set time limits for each and every task. Some children are relatively organized, but slower than they need to be. If this is your child, set small goals for each task. For example, if they are working on some homework, maybe a math sheet, that should take about 10 minutes. You could set a timer for 15 minutes. If they dawdle or get distracted when getting ready for school, you can set a goal to get to the breakfast table or to come downstairs or to have their teeth brushed by a certain or specific time. You could even handwrite those on the clock. If they have a clock in their bathroom or their bedroom somewhere in the house, that way they can see that's their morning routine clock and they know exactly when they need to be where. One of my teenage daughters still sets timers on a routine basis as she's getting ready to make sure that she is ready by time she needs to be. And so this will be like putting on makeup, gets so many minutes, everything else gets so many minutes and her alarm's always going off all morning long. So this is a great way to teach them and still that early on so they can use that as they continue on in life. Number four, ways to help our kids become more efficient. Keep an organized house and have your child do the same. Now, good organization and efficiency go hand in hand. Everything has to have a proper place because you're going to waste a lot of time chasing down lost items, which is going to make you lose your efficiency. And that really goes for us as parents. We may lose our keys or can't remember where we put our phone or wallet or whatever that may be that we need. So we need to have a specific place for everything. When your child is disorganized, it's so easy for them to lose things or to overlook assignments, obligations, due dates. And these problems are only going to be exacerbated by their tendency to move or work really slow, and they will continue to carry on through life. So even if you have a disorganized child who says, I'm never, ever going to be organized, this is just the way that I am, still always encourage them. Yes, they may have tendencies to be messy, but that doesn't mean that they can't know exactly where things are. They can have a proper place in their bedroom or can have a proper place in the backpack, as long as that doesn't mean it's crumbled up underneath all the folders at the bottom. That really isn't a proper place. (laughs) All right, number five, ways to make our kids become more efficient. Have a frank and honest conversation with them. Let your child know that the more efficient that they are with their time, the more time that they're going to have to do fun things like play games or have screen time, play with friends. And this can be a very strong motivator. They may think, I don't need to be efficient. You know, that's for parents or adults. And I'm just a kid. I can just kind of be lazy and do things at my own pace. And that is true. But if there's only an hour in the evening 
for free time and homework time combined. Well, if you spend 45 minutes of that time working on one assignment that maybe could be easy if you just focused on it and didn't get distracted, well, then you only have 15 minutes left. However, if you could get that assignment done in 15 minutes time because you were efficient about it, well, then great, you have 45 minutes of free time, whether that be on the screen or playing outside, whatever that looks like inside your family. And number six, ways to help our kids become efficient, build in extra time. The reality is, as I mentioned before, some children are just slow. You may be standing at the door ready to go and they are painstakingly tying their shoes and you kind of want to scream, but you need to be prepared for that because if your child is that way, then you just need to plan more time. Everything from eating a meal to showering and getting ready for bed to completing schoolwork, do your best to establish and stick to routines as much as possible, but also be realistic about your expectations and allow a buffer of time so that you don't get frustrated because when you get frustrated and yell about something that your child feels like they may not be able to control, then the less motivation they have for change. So these are great ways to help build the efficiency in your children, and maybe you learned a few ways to build efficiency in yourself. Before we get into our app focus, I want to tell you about Bark. If your child has an Android or iPhone, Bark is essential for you to monitor what your child is doing online. Bark monitors your child's text messages, YouTube, emails, social media accounts like Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, GroupMe, and more. It looks for safety concerns such as cyberbullying, suicidal thoughts or depression, cutting, drug use, vaping references, sexting, adult content, online predators, and other harmful content. When a potential concern arises, Bark sends you, the parent, an alert with expert recommendations from child psychologists on how you should properly handle the situation with your child. While we at Brave Parenting recommend you regularly check your child's phone, we know how hard it is to monitor all of the interactions your child has on their phone. Bark is an easy way to stay on top of it all. Don't wait until your child is neck deep in harmful content on their phone before you protect them. Install Bark now, save time, and have peace of mind knowing that you will be alerted if a potential concern is found. To learn more about Bark, visit braveparenting.net slash bark. That's B-A-R-K for more information and to sign up for your free trial. Our app focus for the day is GroupMe. Now, fact number one, GroupMe is social networking. The GroupMe is a messaging app began in 2010 by Microsoft. It allows users to send direct messages and group messages from mobile devices without any message limits or fees, which back in 2010 was kind of a big deal. Now, mostly everything is free. One reason people like using GroupMe is that it's fun to use and easy for those who have phones using different operating systems such as Android or Apple. And you can also use it on the web at groupme.com. Now it's kind of like a private chat for your small group. You can have as many groups as you want and it's always free. So really it allows anyone to coordinate for work, with friends, family, all of that. In addition to group messages, direct messages are also available, allowing them to interact with individual users one-on-one. With that being said, some users like GroupMe because of the stealth potential 
Not only because you can direct message individuals, but also on-screen notifications pop up without content, which is appealing to some kids. Similar to iMessages on Apple devices, GroupMe messages can be hearted, which is essentially just given a like. And the GroupMe app does use web data to send and receive those text messages, but you can also choose SMS so you can also take part from a non-smartphone device. Fact number two, emojis, GIFs, and Zoe. GroupMe's main claim to fame may be its emojis and open search for GIFs. There are tons, including many that you can purchase. GroupMe's marketing actually says, quote, the entire internet in your group, YouTube, Twitter, GIFs, you name it, you can send it. So right there, that's a concern number one, the entire internet in your group. That means anything that you can find online, you can find right there in GroupMe, even if you don't have the internet hooked up onto a child's phone, but they have GroupMe, they can access all that. So in the media search feature of GroupMe, you can search for these GIFs, images, or videos. If you were to choose a image, you can also select the meme option, which allows you to add a caption, essentially creating your own meme, which can then be sent into any group thread. Now, all photos shared in a group are automatically shared to the group gallery. Recently, some updates to GroupMe now allows users to record videos using their smartphones, making them accessible to any group. And when it comes to images, you can send up to 10 images at a time inside the group. Now, another concern for parents, when you're doing this search for GIFs or images or videos, once you find what you want to send and you were to click on it, before you add it to the group, it gives you an option of viewing the source or essentially viewing the source code. And what this does is it takes you directly to where that video came from or where that image came from. So if you are searching videos, it may take you directly to YouTube. If you're looking at images or GIFs, it may take you to any other website. I clicked on some last night in my research and found that it took me directly to Teen Vogue, directly to Cosmopolitan. I even had my internet browser turned off on my phone and it still took me to these websites. So there is a lot of content. I even saw full episodes, like 30 minute videos that can be shared in GroupMe available. So you could even just watch them. So even if you didn't have YouTube, you didn't have Safari, having the GroupMe app actually gives you access to all of this and viewing it straight from the source. In addition to all of that, GroupMe has also added the bonus of Zoe. Zoe is a social AI chatbot with, quote, hashtag friend goals. (laughs) So this artificial intelligent chatbot, per the app, quote, Zoe is always down to chat. She knows what's up and is sure to make you LOL. So you can chat with Zoe in a group or one-on-one. You can add her to the group just as though you would add anyone else to the group. And Zoe, meaning the computer itself, right, has access to your display name, messages, and any other content that other members of the group share. Now, they do have a disclaimer. Please note that Zoe is designed for entertainment purposes only, and nothing Zoe says should be taken as advice or endorsement. You can add Zoe to any of your group for extra fun. 
So there it is. In case you didn't have enough friends to be texting with, you can also text right there with an AI chatbot. Fact number three, hiding and deleting. Now on GroupMe, you can hide chats, but you can't delete chats from your device. So if you hide it, it's only going to be hidden from your device, which if that's your child, yes, they could hide a chat from you if they didn't want you to see it. The key to remember, however, is that even though it's hidden on your device, it's not hidden on everyone else's devices. So if there were 20 other members of the group, they can still see it. So if you said something, maybe something you regretted, maybe something unkind, maybe something illegal, who knows, any of that, you may try and hide it and you won't see it. Anyone else can screenshot that and really hold that against you and hold you accountable to what was said. This can be really devastating for not only friendships, but really their integrity and future. And another key to note is that a lot of times people will just add new group members with ease and maybe it's a friend of a friend of a friend and, and maybe this is just a very social type of group me thread. Well, with sextortion being a very big problem, any friend of a friend who just happens to maybe be a predator of sorts in the sense of just has maybe really evil or unkind intentions, if you're sharing photos in there, especially of yourself, they could easily take those photos potentially manipulate them, put them out there on, online, or use them to shame you. So it's really important to know who exactly is in each of these group threads that you're in. Another danger in deleting is that each time a group member is added or removed, a message shows up as part of the group chat saying so-and-so was added or so-and-so was removed. Well, this adding and removing of members can also be a way of cyberbullying or a way to isolate or shame another child who is in the group. Again, destroying their friendships, ruining their integrity and their self-confidence because of the ability to do that inside that app. Fact number four, group details. Now, as I mentioned before, you can join and leave private groups at any time. You do it much the same way you would leave any other online forum. However, when you create a group, you do have two choices. So if you're going to create a new group, you can choose an open group, which is the original way that GroupMe always functions. And that's where all members can add or remove people. They can change the group name, topic, but only the group creator can enable sharing or actually delete the group. Now, if you're creating a group, you can create a closed group. And only the group creator of this closed group can add or remove people change the group name, avatar, or topic. Non-owners of this group will not have the membership or group setting options available to them at all. So now that they have this closed group feature, it is actually really good if this was going to be for a sport or a classroom and the actual moderator was a coach or a teacher. This is a lot safer because you're not going to be having any of the cyberbullying aspects that could go into an open group for young kids. Group owners also have additional layer of control where they can block and unblock members, so that is good. Another feature that GroupMe offers in order to add people to the group is iBeacon. With this, you can easily add group members if they are just in close proximity. So you have to make sure your Bluetooth is on and that you're allowing GroupMe to know your location. But then when 
GroupMe knows those details than if you are just, say, by someone in Starbucks, maybe a cute guy, the girls want to add them to their group text, or someone at the mall. It's going to list all the people in close proximity on your GroupMe as an option to add them to the group. This is a huge predator danger. If we don't actually know that person, we really shouldn't be adding them to a group because that could open up all sorts of potential harm. Fact number five, privacy and ratings. GroupMe never shares your personal information with others. Your phone number and email address are always kept private from other group members. So that's a great perk. When you're in a group, the only details that the other members of the group are going to see is your avatar and your name. That doesn't stop kids from sharing their personal information, but automatically GroupMe is not going to share that. However, like all apps, they do collect personal data from you in order to advertise and market to you to create personalized products, make recommendations, as well as improve their service. That's the standard across the board from all apps, of course, that are going to collect the data. Now, GroupMe should be verifying your birthday when you sign up for an account, but I can tell you that when I signed up for an account, it did not actually require my birthday at all. So unless they somehow knew that I was a 40-year-old lady, I have no idea. They did not ask me for my date of birth. Now, the great news about GroupMe is that Bark, the parent monitoring controls, can monitor GroupMe. So if you link your child's account to Bark, Bark will use algorithms to look for a variety of different dangerous potentials, such as cyberbullying, sexting, any drug-related or vaping-related content, or signs of depression, anxiety, suicidal risk factors. And if a potential issue is detected, it sends the parent a text or an email. It reviews the issue and gives you recommendations on how you can handle that situation. This is a great feature. I know a lot of parents ask me about GroupMe and is it safe because they're, you know, maybe they're middle schoolers or on a dance team and the dance team wants to have a GroupMe app for everyone or even a Girl Scout troop may have one. Lots and lots of people are using this app. So is it safe? Well, it can be, but I highly recommend that you use Bark. If you want to find out more information about Bark, you can visit braveparenting.net forward slash Bark. Now, the App Store rates GroupMe as 4+. Google Play rates it E for everyone. We think at Brave Parenting that is way too low because children have such access to the memes, the GIFs, the images, and the videos, and they can view the source of that, that is too much for young children. And because often memes can be very offensive, um, very polarizing against certain groups of people, during the middle school years, that's almost too much access to have. So if you can avoid it, we highly recommend GroupMe for high school and over, just because their maturity is more so that they can have an idea of, if I send this and have a record of it, then this could potentially affect my future. Whereas in the middle school years, that is not always the case. Our family focus today, we're going to be talking about, is my child just consuming or are they producing? This is something that is kind of a big topic now, is the difference between being a consumer and a producer. So let's take a look at what both mean. Well, what does it mean to consume? Well, we consume a lot of things on a regular basis, but a lot of people overconsume things like entertainment and they binge on 
possible substances or activities. So these can be like TV, food, alcohol, drugs, sex, and even the internet and social media. So aside from these pleasures and entertainment, some people can consume things that they feel like are good, such as information and news, and especially lately politics. And oftentimes, they will consume these things rather than doing something they should be doing. This is really the heart of efficiency, where we're not having the mental strength to stop the things that we shouldn't be doing in order to stay focused on prioritizing what should be done. A lot of times, research has found that this sort of procrastination or doing what feels good and and consuming is a way to mask or, or cover up fears or insecurities. So the world wants you to buy, 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 and watch, 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 scroll, scroll, scroll. And there's a lot of money there in leveraging your fears and insecurity because those feelings are incredibly powerful buying motivators, powerful engagement motivators. Think about it. When you're sad or unhappy, alone, or even afraid, it feels good to buy something. Go online, buy something you always wanted. Oh, that feels good. It also is very relaxing and and feels good when you just can check out of life and just be entertained by a TV show or a movie or by looking online. In order to escape you know, your own reality, you can get into a video game and, and immerse yourself in someone else's reality or Netflix or even the news or really any online vice that you can find. They cover up those fears and insecurities. So would you say that you want your child to be a consumer? Most likely not. We want our children to, to be producers. And that's really the opposite of what consuming is. Well, ordinary people can grow numb through entertainment and distraction, we want our children to be extraordinary, focusing on producing and creating. We think about what producers are. They are those who give genuine value to the world and truly help people. And considering the technology we possess today, the smartphone itself was created by producers. It took incredible intelligence, hard work, perseverance, and problem-solving in order for them to create something so innovative, it would change the world as we know it. Steve Jobs wasn't sitting around watching movies and playing video games all of his life. Bill Gates didn't amass massive debt with online shopping. Even the creators of today's most popular video games, they are spending more time producing than they are consuming the very games that they create. But we have to admit that consuming is not all inherently bad. If you think about just going to, say, an art museum, when you walk around and you look at the different art, you're consuming other people's produced content. And that can be enjoyable and that can lead to inspiration. Oftentimes, looking at Pinterest can be a way of consuming other people's ideas, but it can lead to your own creativity, your own inspiration. The key is is to be able to take what you consume and turn that into action. Really what we want is for our children to be critical consumers so that they can become makers, producers, creators. We want them to go beyond surface level opinions and ideas of other people so that they can decide by themselves in their own heart to be critical consumers, decide what is good, what is bad, and how they apply that and put it into action in their own life. 
So take a video game, for example. If your children love to play video games, do you think, how can they become critical consumers of that? Well, it really is more self-awareness of why they are playing it and why they like it. When they can critically consume a video game, they're going to notice the difference in in form and functionality of, say, a high-level video game like Fortnite versus a user-submitted app that might be free that they can get on their phone. There's a big difference between those two. Also, their taste can become more refined. They can see the game and why it's challenging and enjoyable versus why it's just addicting or habit-forming. As they critically consume, they can also distinguish between negative or harmful effects. They can really begin to question, am I playing the game or is the game playing me? And also, they can look at the game and really appreciate the craft involved in making what it is that they are consuming. So that could be appreciating the code or the graphics that went into doing that, as well as the storyline, the character developments, the innovativeness, and the creativity. It's more than just sitting there as a way to consume and check out, but an appreciation of the art of what it, what, what it took to create it. So what is the parent's role in helping your child not just consume, but consume critically so that they can be a producer? Well, we believe it really comes down to a lot of media literacy. Our job is to teach children to be critical consumers and producers by helping them understand media and being media literate. This is something that the schools are often teaching, but I really believe that it has to start at home. It can't only be in the school. So the National Association for Media Literacy Education defines media literacy as the ability to access, analyze, evaluate, create, and act using all forms of communication. And by doing this, it helps create critical thinkers and makers. This is definitely what we want. So let's go over those points and see how we can dive in with our kids. So access. We want to start young, co-viewing appropriate media with our child. Maybe it starts with television shows or cartoons, commercials, video games, music, art, whatever it is, co-view along with your child so that you can discuss it together. And that brings you to step two, analyze. First, as you watch this TV show or as you listen to the song, analyze what kind of thoughts and feelings does it bring about in you as a parent. Then you can ask your child. We don't want to just tell them what the message means or what we want them to believe that it means, but we want them to develop the skills to process what it means to them and then decide whether it's good or bad. Step three, evaluate. How does yours and your child's take on that media differ? If it's a song, do you think that song is offensive and they think it's great because of the beat? And then you can discuss, does that media have a net positive or net negative effect on either of you? And can both interpretations that you have be correct? And maybe what biases may play in to both of yours' opinion? Step four, create. In your critical thinking of the media, does it inspire you towards creativity? Does it inspire you to play music of your own or to code or write a video game yourself, to do some DIY crafts, maybe turn it into an entrepreneurial venture, make some videos, write stories? That should be the goal that moves us right into step five, which is act. If you can determine that this media is good and that it brings about inspiration and creativity, 
then you can move forward and use that as a critical and consumer. But if you determine that it really doesn't have any positive effect or it has a net negative effect on you or your child, you can commit to avoiding that type of media. Ultimately, as parents, we want our children to develop critical thinking on their own. There isn't anything wrong with expressing how a certain media makes you feel or why it doesn't align with your family values or beliefs, but we still need to give our kids space to analyze and evaluate that independently. So that doesn't look like we let them have all the media access that they want, but it does look like we co-view as much as we can with them. If they want to try a new video game, great, sit down and try and watch it with them. Learn about what they like about it. Have them look for different aspects so they can critically consume. Their brains will not naturally do this, so they really need us guiding them to be critical consumers. All right, Brave Parents, that brings us to the end of this episode. If you miss anything in the show, you want to learn more, you can find us online at braveparenting.net. If you have any questions, any stories you want to share about what we discussed today, you can email them to podcast at braveparenting.net. Jump over to Amazon, pick up our book, Managing Media, Creating Character, for an in-depth look about how you can build strong character using the technology that children love. And if you are listening on iTunes, Google, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is, please don't forget to subscribe to our show. Thank you so much for listening to the Brave Parenting Podcast, where we believe that character is greater than media, and every child needs a brave parent willing to set a new standard. Until next week, go and be brave.